uh, talk about and think about the topic of your providence, that we would see the glory of it and the goodness of it, and uh, that we would not only understand it, but that it would lead us to a, a greater praise of you, a greater uh, security and comfort in you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, um, before we begin here, we still have some copies of this. Does, does anybody uh, not have one who would like one? Yes. Yeah. You can't doodle in it, though. <laughs> so we've been uh, working through the uh, confession. Uh, if you remember chapter 3, we looked at God's decree. And then uh, last week, Pastor Brennan taught on uh, creation. And then this week, uh, we're going to look at God's providence, uh, God's providence in general, which will be paragraphs 1 through 3 of chapter 5. Now, uh, there's actually a, a logical in, intention bet, uh, behind the way that the confession is laid out. The chapters are actually in the order that they're in for a reason. They're actually teaching something in the, in the very way that uh, the confession is laid out. So if you remember, we started with uh, doctrine of Scripture. That's a really important place to start because everything else that we look at will be in light of how we view Scripture, right? If, if, if uh, God's Word is fallible, well, then the doctrine that we have uh, will look very different if we believe that God's Word can make errors, right? But if it is infallible, well, that has effect on how we look at the rest of doctrine, the second chapter, with Scripture in mind, now that we have our starting point, now we, we know uh, where we get access to the truth of God and, and all of these sorts of things, then we move into chapter 2, which is the doctrine of God. His nature, um, his character, um, all of those things. And then from that basis, understanding who God is, then we move into decree. What does this God uh, decree will happen? Okay, so uh, that's where we were at a couple weeks. So we looked at God uh, and the nature of him. We looked at decree. If you remember right, his decree is what he has determined will happen before time began. That, that God has actually uh, decreed whatever will come to pass before time began. Well, then the question is, how does God carry out what he's decreed. He's made these decisions. He's made these determinations. How does he accomplish uh, his will? And so that's where then chapter 4 comes into play. Creation. God accomplishes what he's decreed in time, first of all, through creation. The way that he's created things. So um, uh, God has determined that that dice would fall. You, you guys weren't looking at me. God has determined that that dice would fall. He determined that. He decreed that that dice would fall. How does he carry out what he's decreed? Through creation, the fact that gravity exists. Right? And that causes it to fall. I lost the dice and I need it later. There it is. Thank you. He decreed that I wouldn't be able to find it. <laughs> okay? Without help. <laughs> okay? So God has uh, decreed all things that will come to pass. He then creates things in time. And then chapter 5, which is what we'll start looking at 
uh, today is God's providence. That is how God accomplishes his decree in the theater of creation in time. How God actually works out what he's determined will come to pass. And so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. There's going to be some overlap with decree, understandably, because providence is just God accomplishing his decree. God accomplishing what he has determined uh, will happen. So with that in mind, we start with the, the first paragraph of chapter 5. Uh, we'll read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll break it down. <clears throat> God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for the which they were created, according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. There's a lot packed in there, huh? And so let's, let's break it down. So first of all, we'll see providence defined. Providence defined. God, the good creator of all things, and his infinite power and wisdom does uphold direct, dispose, and govern all things. Now, I want you to notice that uh, be, before they even get into it, they remind us of who God is. They call us back to chapter 3 and, and also chapter 4 that God is the good creator of all things. And providence happens according to his infinite power and his wisdom. These are all characteristics of God that we saw in uh, chapter 3. It's this God the God who's the good creator, the God who's infinitely powerful and infinitely wise. It's this God who upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures and things. And just as a side note, before we continue on, we must remember God's nature as we consider God's providence. Uh, there's a tendency for us to think that if God is sovereign, if he's totally sovereign, how can he actually be good? And we have to remember, this is, this is who God has revealed himself to be, and this is what we see time and time again, that God actually is good. His providence thus is good. God actually is wise. He knows what he's doing. And so his providence is wise. And God actually is powerful, so he actually can accomplish what he has decreed in the past. Some scriptural support. For this idea of providence, the idea that God actually accomplishes all of his all of his will in time. He's actually upholding and directing all things. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He, this is uh, talking about Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There are some, uh, we, we call them deists. There are those who believe in God. Uh, they believe in a God who created all things and then steps back, right? He, he creates the, the watch, as it were, and he winds up the watch, and then he steps back, and the watch just goes on its own. It's no, this is a God that is upholding the universe. 
He doesn't step back. He's actually sustaining. He's upholding all of uh, created order. The reason that you are breathing right now is because God is upholding your lungs. He has determined that you would take another breath. Now, are are there uh, laws of nature and those sorts of things? Yes. God has created a, a order to how things exist, but those are the means in which he upholds the universe very actively, okay? And that's God's providence, his upholding of things. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. We looked at this passage when we were looking at decree. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, it's talking about uh, Cyrus, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Now in this verse, we, we see both, uh, two things. We see God's decree. We see that uh, what is going to happen is according to his counsel, what he has determined in the past. We see God's decree in, in, in his purpose. This is what he has purposed to do, right? That, that's all his decree. But we also have language of his providence. I have purposed it, de- uh, decree, and I will do it. That's God's providence, right? So God had purposed uh, in eternity past that uh, he would raise up King Cyrus of the, the Medo-Persian Empire and that through King Cyrus, Cyrus would invade the Babylonians, if you remember. And uh, through Cyrus, the, the Jews would be able to return uh, back to Jerusalem. God had decreed that that would happen in the past. He had purposed it. It was according to his counsel. But it's by his providence that it actually happens that uh, Cyrus would be able to come to power, that Cyrus would win the battles that he needed to win against the Babylonians. It's God's providence that Cyrus would just so happen to decide that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem. That's God actually working in time to accomplish uh, his decree. Ephesians uh, 1 verse 11. Again, another verse that we looked at often with decree. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. That word predestined, what kind of language is that? Decree, right? He, he determined beforehand, he predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The working all things is what? His providence, right? He's working all things according to the counsel of his will what he had decreed in the past. So you see that interplay between decree and providence. Psalm 135, verses six through nine. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Isn't that good news before we continue on? Whatever he pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast. Who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. We see here that uh, God is actually sovereign over clouds and lightning and rain 
and wind. And so our natural force is purely mechanical. Can we, can we just erase this? Like the deist. No. Yes, God works through the way that he's created things. But every cloud that is formed, it's according to what he has decided. It's according to his prov- providence. And how does he form it? Well... If you guys remember, I remember in third grade, we learned this little song, evaporation. That's all I remember about the song. And, uh, and you have the, the, rain, the water cycle, right? And there's different parts, apparently. <laughs> so the water evaporates, right? It condenses, and then precipitation. I, okay, I'm start, starting to come back here a little bit more. Right? There's this whole cycle that happens, right? And, and God had created things to happen that way. And God accomplishes every cloud. He determines every cloud through those means. Through the means of the sun shining down on the water and water evaporating and condensing in the clouds and uh, precipitating and, and all the rest. So natural forces are not purely mechanical. God, through his providence, works through creation uh, what he has determined, even the, every cloud in the sky. Acts chapter 17 Verses uh, 25 through 26. And he, as God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why do nations exist to the extent that they do? God, right? God's providence. He... He, he actually works this way. And so uh, you think of the fall of the Roman Empire. Why did the Roman Empire last as long as it did? Well, there's several factors that we would look at in history. You have the, 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 the Goths invading into uh, the Roman area. You have um, uh, political changes, uh, corruption. You have all of these things, right, that, that brought down the Roman Empire. And God had determined those things would bring down the Roman Empire both at the same time. He has determined uh, how uh, large a nation is, how long they last, so on and so forth. So that's, that's providence. It's God upholding, directing, disposing, and governing all things according to what he has decreed before time. Let's look at the scope of providence. So that was providence defined, the scope of providence. It's from the greatest even to the least. From the greatest, the biggest of events, even to the smallest of things. Daniel 2, chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He does these, God does these grand things, these big things. He's the one that sets up the kings and removes the kings. He's the one that determines how long a nation will last and, and how big it will be. He's the one that determines these, these great uh, big things and, and he also determines the small things. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very birds in the sky, little sparrows, if they die, it's, it's 
happening under God's providence. He, he's looking after these things and he's, uh, these things are happening according to what he's decreed. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Very, this, one of the smallest parts of our body, numbered by God, determined by God. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Again, as we saw with decree, the, the application is the God who is in control of the big things and the small things is our God, so, so don't be fearful, right? So that is the scope of providence. Big things, small things, everything in between. And then lastly, in this paragraph, we see the nature of providence. He, he, um, he upholds, directs, disposes, disposes and governs all things by his most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable or unchangeable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. God's providence we see is wise and holy. Well, that's because that's who God is, right? That the way that God works, the way that God accomplishes things is according to his nature. Just like if I were to try to fix a mechanical problem on my car, I would do so according to my nature and I would do a very bad job of it, right? Well, God works all things according to his nature, which is wise, Proverbs 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. He's the very source of wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And the way that God works is his providence, the way he accomplishes his decree is holy. It's, it's good. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's pure. Isaiah 6, 3, one of the most famous verses, passages in the Old Testament. And one called to another. We have these, these seraphim. Uh, flying around and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so what that means is God's providence is wise and holy. Whatever he determines, however he determines to accomplish what he's determined, is, it's good, it's, it's wise. Even if we don't even if we don't see it, it is. It's also, providence is also according to his purposes. According to the end for which they were created. According to his purposes. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 through 17. For by him, again this is talking about Christ. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him, for what he has purposed. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All the things that are created, uh, even rulers and, and kings, these sorts of things, they're through him and for him, for his purposes. God's providence is also according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchanging counsel of his will. In other words, it's according uh, to what he has determined will happen, 
And that which he has determined won't change because God does not change like man. And what God has determined, he, know, he knows will happen because he's determined it. Ephesians 1.11, uh, there again, God has predestined uh, uh, our salvation, our inheritance, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then lastly, again, we need to be reminded of this, that God's providence displays his wisdom, his power, his justice, his infinite goodness and mercy. Do you, do you notice how the writers of the confession, I mean, all of these, these qualities are infinite, right? But which one do they want us to, to remember particularly? Goodness, right? We need to remember that his providence is according to his infinite. Uh, it doesn't have any boundaries. It's, it, you can't contain his goodness. Ephesians uh, chapter one, if you would open up there. When it's again talking about uh, the inheritance that we have in Christ according to God's decree, there's this repetition that we see throughout. Ephesians chapter 1. If you look, uh, if you just scan through. Uh, verse 5, he predestined for us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which, 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 with which he has blessed us in the beloved. If you go down, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, talking about the Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's that repetition. What, what is the purpose behind all of this? It's, it's to show forth God's glory, to show forth the glory of his grace, the glory of who he is. The glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. That's why salvation happens the way that it does. And then Romans 11, verse 36, For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. All things are happening, come from him, and through him, and are to him. For him. To, to, and then what does Paul say next? To him be glory forever. Amen. That, that all of these things, the way that God works in time and in history, display his glory. The doctrine of providence is important um, for several reasons. First of all, uh, for the errors that it corrects. The first error that the doctrine of providence corrects is the idea that things happen by chance. That things just happen randomly. This is actually a pagan idea. That things happen by chance. Now, the Bible does talk about chance and we can use the, the word chance in a mathematical sort of way and, you know, all of that. But, but the reason that you're here today, the reason that you exist is not random. It's not chance. The reason that you're in the circumstance that you're in right now is not random. It's not chance. 
It's according to God's good and wise and gracious providence based upon what he has decreed. So things don't happen by chance. I didn't uh, meet my wife by chance. I lived in San Jose uh, and uh, tech industry is there and because of that there's a lot of men there more men than women. They actually call it Man Jose. Um, and so it's like, well, you know, how am I ever going to meet a girl here in Man Jose? Well, what did God do? Debbie just so happened to, to get her last clinical in, uh, in San Jose. Flew all the way from Indiana out there. We just so happened to meet at church. Just so happened. Just so happened to get married. Just so, it's not chance. It's God's providence. Is God's goodness being displayed to me. Things don't happen by chance and things don't happen by fate. Sometimes uh, people accuse this doctrine as being fatalistic. Uh, you know, the song, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, that sort of, you know, we, why even do anything because fate's just going to happen, right? That's not what this doctrine teaches. Fate has, is, is some blind force that causes things to be the way that they are. No rhyme or reason, it's just fate, right? That's not what providence is. Providence says that all things happen for a reason and they're directed by a person, God. It's not fatalistic. It's not que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It's God has determined these things and God has worked these things and we'll, we'll see later on that actually God gives us things to do and he uses what we do. That what we do actually matters. That things aren't determined by fate. They're determined by God and we also have responsibility in what we do. Well, what are the benefits of understanding God's providence? First of all, if the God who is good, infinitely good and gracious and merciful and wise and holy and, and, and all of these things, if he's the one in charge and who is, if he's the one who is actually working all things according to his decree, that can help us if we just truly believe this, can be a cure for anxiety. What will happen tomorrow? How will this thing be taken care of? How will ultimately God's in control? God's got it. God's got it. And whatever happens will be good, even if it doesn't seem good. The second benefit of understanding God's providence, it's a cure for bitterness against others. That when someone does something against us, it can be so, if we have no real hope or there's no rhyme or reason or any, any of this stuff, if there's not a God over it, then we have reason to be bitter towards that person. Right? To, for that bitterness to fester, to be angry. But if that thing is actually from God for our good, we can let go of that bitterness. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Right? His brothers did some things against him that would ordinarily cause a person to be pretty bitter. They wanted him dead. They sold him to slavery. And yet, in Genesis 50, Joseph shows kindness to them because he understood that what they had determined for evil, God had determined for good. He understood that. He believed it. 
And, and out of that belief, uh, uh, it shows in Joseph not being bitter towards his brothers. Understanding God's providence can also be a cure for discontentment. It's so easy to, to, to wish that things were different or to uh, just, just dwell on the things that could be different. Or, and it's not bad to pursue change or that kind of stuff, but we can easily fall into discontentment. We can be like the Israelites who are grumbling in the wilderness because they don't get their watermelons, right? And yet if I, if I understand God's providence, what reason do I have to be discontent? God has chosen my lot for me with all of it. And that God is actually infinitely good and gracious. He's given me far beyond what I deserve because what I actually deserve is eternal death. He's been infinitely gracious towards me and, and he's, he's infinitely wiser than me. None of us would probably, if we were to design our life, would, uh, would pick the life that we have. We'd probably change some circumstances or this or that. But God is wiser than me. God is wiser than you. And so that can help us to be content that God knows what he's doing. It's also a cure for complaining. That if I understand that, that, that God is providentially working, that he has determined everything that, that happens in my life, that he has determined everything I have or don't have, or I should realize that if I'm complaining, who am I complaining against? God. The God who is infinitely wise and good and so on and so forth. Connected to that, it should be a cure for ingratitude. Because all that I have is of God's grace. Why do I ultimately have food on the table? Yes, I, I work and, and all the rest and pay for that food. And, but ultimately, it's God's grace. Working providentially, providing for me with all things. The reason that, again, that, that I breathe right now. That's God's providence. He didn't have to give me another breath. And yet he just did. It's God's providence. We should be thankful. Sixthly, should be a reason for joy. Again, the God who is good is providentially working. Things look bleak. Things don't look very great in the world right now. But God is providentially working and so we can be joyful even amid uh, distressing times. Things might not be perfect in your life right now, but you can be joyful because God is providentially working in your life. Seventhly, I, I added an, another one. I was thinking more on this over the weekend, but another benefit of, of God's providence is a realization of our dependence. That we are completely dependent on God to providentially give us all that we have. Just, just think about that for a moment. Again, the breath, me being able to talk right now, if God were to determine it, he could not give me the gift of speaking right now. And I would be mute. The reason I, I speak right now is because God is actually upholding all that is required to speak. And, and more than that, you know, I was thinking yesterday... We, we probably all have times where 
our, our sin comes out in a very blatant way. Maybe, maybe it's just in our mind or in our heart, but we're sup- maybe we've been uh, impatient or get angry or these sorts of things. And, and we tend to think, well, that was kind of the exception to the rule, right? That, well, I just, just had a bad moment there. If God were to, to, to withhold his grace, if God were to providentially determine it, we would be utterly sinful. That when that outburst happens or, or whatever, God is actually showing us this, this is who you are apart from my gracious protection of you, apart from my gracious upholding of you. And, and, and we tend to think that we're pretty good people and oh, I'm not like that guy and I'm not like that guy and I'm not like that guy. Why aren't we like that guy? Because of God's providence, because of God's grace. If, if it weren't for that, we would be that guy. And so we, it should, should, should help us to remember our utter dependence on God that today I'm utterly dependent on God to, to not have some sort of angry outburst. That I'm utterly dependent on God to be patient, to be content, to all of these things. Because, because left to my own devices, those things would come out. We're utterly dependent on God. And lastly, God's providence should give us a reason for hope and comfort. That God, for the Christian, has actually determined to conform you into the image of Christ and he is going to provide that. He's working that right now, providentially in our lives. That God actually has determined to work all things together for the good of the, for the, good of the Christian. And he's doing that right now, providentially. He, he is uh, accomplishing the very things that he has decreed that you and I would be finally and fully conformed into the image of Christ. And so when we see our sin, again, one, we should remember our dependence on God, but two, we should also have every reason for hope and comfort that it's God who is the one who is providentially accomplishing uh, uh, that work in us. That's providence. Uh, Secondly, today, our second paragraph, we're going to look at First and second causes revisited. We talked about this at Decree. It's, it's really important. It helps, um, helps us understand things that, that may be a little confusing when we think about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Uh, paragraph two there. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly so that there is not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence, Yet by the same providence, he orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. It's a lot of big words there. Okay, so the gist of it is, although everything happens according to what God has determined, everything, those things happen according to second causes. Okay, God's the first cause. Um... And there are second causes. We've talked about this before, but um, the, the food example, right? Who's the first cause? Who's the primary reason that you have food on the table for lunch today? God, right? He decreed it. He determined it. He, he providentially provided it. 
But how does he accomplish that? How does he accomplish the giving of food on your table? Through second causes, right? The, the farmer, even before that, through the way that things are created. The fact that when uh, uh, sun beats down on, on the soil and, and uh, water uh, goes on the seed and all that, that's the way that he's created things providentially. Uh, every every uh, stalk of wheat is grown, right? That's the second cause through creation. Second cause are the farmers, the, the, the Walmart employees, the, uh, the job that you have to have money. All of those are second causes. And are those real causes to why you have food on the table? Yes. And is God the ultimate cause to why you have food on the table? Yes. Both exist at the same time. And so... We need to keep in mind first and second causes, uh, that these second causes happen necessarily. Uh, that is, they, they happen according to, to natural causes, according to how God has designed things. They happen freely. Uh, second causes, people in this instance actually choose what they want to do. The farmer actually chooses to grow wheat and to harvest it, and the Walmart employee actually chooses to work at Walmart and so on and so forth. And they happen contingently, which means that what ends up happening is actually dependent on the means, dependent on the second causes, though God is sovereign over those means. So uh, we've used this dice before. It's becoming my new friend. Okay. So when I, when I drop this dice on the table, we, we read in Scripture that every, uh, when the lot is cast, every determination is from God. We've read that before. When I dropped the dice, I rolled a four. God determined that four, right? Okay, well, how did it happen? It happened necessarily. It happened according to the nature of physics and gravity and all of that, right? God determined, uh, rolled that four, as it were, according to the nature of creation, how things work in creation. That four was also rolled freely. I actually chose to roll that four, I mean, I didn't choose the four. I chose to roll the dice the way that I rolled it. And it happened contingently. Why, is it, why did it happen to be a four? It happened based upon, it had, in order for it to roll four, certain things had to happen. Right? It had to be dropped in a certain way. It had to roll in a certain way based upon the, 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 the strength there of the fall or whatever. I'm, I'm no scientist, as you guys know. And it happened to be a four uh, contingent on the events that happened. Does that make sense? So it happened according to the, the nature of the second causes, but God determined it. He's the primary cause. And so though, though this breaks our brains, Scripture clearly reveals that God is accomplishing his predetermined will by the free choices of, of men. That's how he accomplishes it. Let's see the ultimate example of it. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Could someone read verse, uh, actually I should read verse 23 because we're being recorded here. <laughs> uh, Peter is uh, talking uh, to the men at Pentecost, and he pronounces in verse uh, 23, well, let's start in verse 22. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What is that talking about there? Decree. God decreed it. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay? So, looking at this sort of structure, God decreed that salvation would happen through uh, the crucifixion. Right? He determined it. Determined it before time began. That this is how he would save a people for himself, with, is, is that the Son of God would be crucified, that he would bear this, the, the wrath that you and I deserve. Well, how does God accomplish his decree? Well, he creates things. He creates men. He creates trees. He creates, uh, I don't know, nails are probably made out of iron. I don't know, iron. He creates the laws of gravity. How does God accomplish his decree in creation? Through his providence, sinful men hang Christ on a cross made out of trees. They, they uh, slam nails of iron through his fists, uh, through his wrists, and gravity uh, causes it to be hard for him to breathe. So he has to keep going like this because the nails and it's excruciating pain. Gravity is even part of that. God providentially accomplishes the salvation uh, of of sinful men through the crucifixion. By creating men, by creating trees, by creating iron, by creating gravity with uh, this end in mind. That God providentially works so that sinful men, according to their nature, who hate God, crucified the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. That God created the very tree... That he, would, that he would die on. That he would bear the, the wrath for our sin on. That's amazing. Now, did, the, did, did these men freely choose what they wanted to do? Yeah, all, all of these second causes work according to their nature. Right? So what do sinful people do? They sin. Right? What does a tree do? It can hold the weight of a body. You know, what do nails do? What do gravity do? All of these things are working according to their nature. These second causes are working necessarily according to nature, freely. People are choosing what they want. And contingently, Christ couldn't have been murdered, couldn't have been crucified without these things. Does that make sense? Okay. And so again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
we ever have a hard time with, with providence and the fact that God works good out of evil, we need to remember that God bore the greatest evil to accomplish good. That, that God is not disconnected from this whole scheme. He, he places himself in it. And he, he, far worse than, than we have ever endured. And so what does this mean for us? What does the, the idea of first and second causes mean for us? First of all, it means take action. Second causes are real. We are truly responsible and freeze, uh, free to choose what we want. What we do and what we don't do has real impact. If, if I freely decide, so, so one of the means that, that God has given to disciple children, for instance, is parents, right? See that throughout scripture? If I freely decide not to disciple my children, what should I expect? disaster, right? I should not expect, uh, that's the means. I'm the means in this case, the secondary uh, cause. Yet at the same time, we can take comfort. We can take comfort that God is truly sovereign and is accomplishing all his good and holy will. So as I pursue being a parent, for instance, and I fail time and time again, as I try to, to be responsible for of what God has called me to do, I can also take comfort that God is ultimately the one sovereign over it all. And he will providentially work graciously and mercifully. Right? And so, last thing there, I know there's tension there. There's this tension that we feel between man being responsible and free and God being sovereign, but we need to live in the tension because it's a biblical tension. And really, which, which one of these things do you want to take away? The comfort that God is truly sovereign? Or do you want to take away the fact that we actually are responsible for what we do? I don't want to take away either of them, and the Bible doesn't. So we have both of them. We uphold both of them. Lastly, we see a qualification on God's use of means in providence. The third paragraph there. God... And his ordinary providence makes use of means. That's how he ordinarily works is through the second causes. Okay? Yet is free to work without those means, above those means, and even against those means at his pleasure. And so uh, the dice again, God ordinarily, five. God ordinarily would accomplish that five through ordinary means, all the things that we've talked about. Yet, could I drop the dice and it start floating and, and turn? Could God do that? If he wanted to, if he wanted to right? He could work um, uh, against the means of gravity in that case. So some biblical examples. Uh, first of all, we see that God usually works through ordinary means. Uh, we see that throughout the Bible. But Acts 27, I think, is a helpful uh, example. If you remember, Paul is on this prison ship and the ship is in danger of being destroyed and the people on it. And in verse uh, 23 there, uh, Paul says to the, the commander there of the, the ship, of the prison ship, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God, uh, in other words, is pronouncing that, hey, you're going to be safe. And actually, everyone else with you is going to be safe. 
Well, how does God accomplish that? In verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Does Paul say, well, God's going to save us so we don't have to do anything? No, he, he uses the ordinary means in which you'd be saved from dying on a ship. We need to go aground on an island to be saved. Uh, later on, verse 43, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. There's these guys that were going to try to escape on a, uh, a little boat, but Paul said that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, they wanted to kill the prisoners. Uh, kept them from carrying out their plan to kill the, the prisoners. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. How did God accomplish this thing that he promised? Very ordinary means. Paul is saying, hey, we should go uh, uh, ground the ship on this island. And what do they do? They, they jump overboard, they rest on planks, pieces of the ship, and then they're, they're brought safely to the land. Paul never says, uh, well, you don't need a, a, a board of the ship to lay on because God's just going to magically bring you to the island and keep you safe. Right? He pursues ordinary means in which a person would be saved. So God usually works through ordinary means. However, God can work without means. Hosea 1.7, uh, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Now this, this is probably in reference to what uh, happens in 2 Kings. Uh, the Assyrians are about to destroy Jerusalem. Uh, we read about it in, in verse 35 of 2 Kings 19. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. How does God save them? He does it without means. He does it without the bow or the sword or horses or a horseman. He just kills them. Just like that. Right? He can work without means. He also can work above means. Romans 4, 19 through 21. Uh, referencing Abraham and Sarah. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, the ordinary means to have children is, I don't think I need to tell you, right? Okay, hopefully not. There's ordinary means in which that happens, right? Abraham and Sarah pursued those ordinary means. But is it ordinary for uh, those means to work at the age of 100? No, not often, <laughs> right? So God is actually using the means, but he's working above the means to give them uh, uh, Isaac, right? It's above what is, is normally, uh, ca uh, those means are normally capable of doing. And God can also work against means. Daniel 3, 27 uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are thrown in the fire for not bowing down uh, to the idol. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not, uh, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, 
Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. God is working against the ordinary means of fire. Usually if, you, if you're like a couple feet from a fire, you just smell like fire. They don't even smell like it. They're not harmed. Not a hair on their head is, is singed. God is working against the ordinary means of what fire uh, usually does. And he's able to do that. Okay? So, although, a question for us, although God can work without means, above means, and against means, what are we to commit ourselves to? Huh? Through what means? Through the ordinary means. Right? He could work against it. He could work without it. He could, but what we're responsible for is pursuing what he ordinarily works through. Uh, so, examples. The means given for our bodily health. Could we pray for good health and God give us good health uh, against means? Against the means of all the food that I eat. Yes. But what should we commit ourselves to to have good health? The ordinary means. Exercise, diet, whatever. I'm not saying that I'm there. But that's what we should expect. Uh, the means to fix a building. Let's say the roof, the roof caves in. Could we pray that God, you know, fix this building? Could God miraculously just assemble uh, a roofing? Yes. But ordinarily, how is God going to fix the roof? Through ordinary means. People uh, financially giving, uh, you know, construction workers, all the rest. That's, and God still fixed the roof, but he did so through ordinary means. The means given to save sinners. What should we commit ourselves to? What, we should commit ourselves to the proclamation of the gospel. Should we expect anybody to be, a, to be saved apart from the proclamation of the gospel? No. <laughs> that would be foolish. We should commit ourselves to the ordinary ways that God saves sinners through proclamation of the gospel and, and prayer for them. And then lastly, you can apply this to a host of things, the means given to build up his church. What are the ordinary means that God has given to build up his church? Preaching of the word, the singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, committing ourselves to the Lord's Supper and baptism, prayer, evangelizing, right? Going out to the lost. What is that? Koinonia, fellowship with one another. Can God build up his church apart from those things? He could. But should we expect him to? No. And so that's why we commit ourselves to the ordinary means that God has given to build his church. That's why we're here this morning. Right? And it, there may not be a flash of lightning that appears in the sanctuary. There won't be a holy aura around me. Right? You, you probably won't have some great epiphany. You, maybe you will. I don't know. But... You, you can trust that God will use these things to build his church because they're the ordinary means that God uses to build his church. Does he have to use them? No. Just like I could diet and exercise all I want and still be unhealthy. Right? But what should I commit, what should we commit ourselves to? The ordinary means that God uses to build his church. And so let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your providence that you are upholding, directing, disposing, and governing all things according to your good and wise and gracious and 
holy uh, will. Lord, pray that you would help us to trust in your providence, that um, so often we can interpret you in light of our circumstances instead of interpreting our circumstances in light of you. Uh, we can look at our circumstances and, and uh, question your goodness or uh, question how wise you are when really we should interpret our circumstances in light of how good and wise you are. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to not be anxious. Help us to not grumble and complain. Help us instead to take comfort and joy in who you are and what you're doing. Help us to sense our utter dependency on you and to be grateful for any good that happens in our lives. Lord, we come before you uh, this morning trusting that one of the means you have given us is prayer. And so we ask you, as we see our dependency on you to change us, that you would do that this morning that you would do what you have decreed, that you would conform us into the image of Christ, that you would use the ordinary means that you have uh, given us for building up your church and that you would do that in such a way that you get all the glory, that it wasn't because uh, we were uh, good enough or because we were wise enough, but because you are good and wise. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.